My name is Joe Wood. When I was a teenager, I experienced recurring paranormal phenomena. When it all became too much, I blocked it out. Now I'm on a mission to reconnect with this side of my life by revisiting my memories. This is What the Haunt. The final days of summer were upon me. I was determined to take advantage of the newfound free time now that the shows I had performed in had closed. I woke up around twelve, having been up late the night before. It had been hours since my mom had left for work, and I opened my eyes after meditating to the droning hum of a neighbor's lawnmower. I stood up, took a deep breath and yawned through a stretch, breathing the new day into my body as joy flickered into my nostrils in the form of fresh-cut grass. My stomach ushered me into the kitchen to set off upon my unspoken end-of-summer routine. Dicing potatoes, frying bacon, scrambling eggs, blending a smoothie... Finding myself seated at the electric keyboard we had found at a thrift store and practicing separate ways until my knuckles were sore. Only then was it time for the most important part of my day. Playing through The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, on my Wii, a blessing from the GameStop gods, a precious gem like this in the used game section. Sure, I had to buy a GameCube controller, but anything was worth being able to dive into the Zelda universe. As I sailed through the great sea as the hero of legend, bumping along to the adventurous score, I quickly hit the start button and paused the game. What was that? I swear I heard something in the front of the house. It was faint... Barely loud enough to register, but I felt the vibrations of feet on the hardwood. It was far too early for my mom to be home, but maybe my nana had stopped by and I hadn't heard her say hello. I set the controller down, got up, and made my way to the front of the house. Nana? No response. I passed through the hallway and into the kitchen. It was in disarray from the remodeling, but we had definitely made a lot of progress. Where is she? Hello? I walked into the dining room and looked out the front window to the driveway. No cars. Not even parked on the side of the road. I guess I must have just heard something. Footsteps. There was no doubt about it. They were coming from the bottom of the basement stairs. Again, I muttered under my breath. A combination of fear and excitement coursed through my veins as my senses lit up. 
At this point, I shouldn't even have been surprised, for this had made itself a part of my end-of-summer routine as well. Whatever was making the noise, it was progressing each day, being active more and more frequently, stringing me on long enough before I chickened out or it faded away. I was determined to find the source. As I stood at the top of the stairs, a sensation that had yet to accompany these sounds overcame me. A presence was waiting for me at the bottom, just out of view. My need to meet this entity overcame any unsettling feelings, hesitancy, or fear, and I began my descent into the unknown. With each step I took, the pressure in the air grew heavier and heavier, and my other senses dulled, my awareness acutely tuned to the energy around me, my energetic echolocation telling me this presence, this entity, was moving towards the back of the basement as I came down the stairs. Was it retreating or leading? As I planted my feet onto the basement floor, it had moved beyond my field of vision. Of course. Of course, that's where it is. A gentle, knocking triplet echoed through the air as if to say, Hello. This was where the hesitancy started its battle with my curiosity. I wanted to see this thing. I wanted to know why it wasn't leaving our home like the others. But it was in that room. I had to turn the corner and face it. At least look in the direction. Each day, I had to get a little bit further, closer to the answer. I took a deep breath and moved along the wall and up to the corner. Here, at what was nearly the center of the entire basement, I could reach my awareness out into every room. From this point, I knew the figure was standing in the workshop, waiting for me. I was ready to turn around and head back to the Wind Waker, but I halted the urge to flee. All I had to do was look around the corner and see this thing. Then I could call it a day and try again tomorrow. Just look, Joe. It's only looking. I mustered up as much courage as I could and stepped around the corner facing into the workshop. It was the darkest room in our basement. The only one without any ground windows. So it didn't matter that it was the middle of the day. It was dark. But I could see it. A human-like figure standing in the center of the workshop, facing me. A chill ran up my spine and goosebumps stood at attention across my body. I took a deep breath, inhaling my anxiety and expelling it out on the exhale. I had to say something. This was my chance. Who are you? I let out a yelp and ran, bolting upstairs two steps at a time. 
I got to the sliding glass door, threw it open, and stepped out on the back deck. I needed to be out of the house, away from the entity in my basement. As its activity had grown in the weeks following the awakening of my sight, I had committed myself to this spectral dance, one that always ended with me running away. I was, however, determined to know more of the spirit in the workshop. So, as I caught my breath and felt the warmth of the sunlight on my skin, I vowed to face the darkness again tomorrow. Throughout middle school from 2008 to 2010, our home was under renovation. The plans were designed by my grandfather and executed by an elite team of four. Him, my grandma, my mom, and me. We were able to remodel our home in ways that would have broken the bank, were it not for the fact that we weren't spending any money on labor except sandwiches and the occasional pizza. By the time I had unearthed my new senses, we were doing construction work most Saturdays and Sundays. While there are theories about paranormal occurrences that weren't validated by my personal experiences as a teenager, I found many of these spectral cliches to hold up. In particular, the correlation between renovations and spikes in residential spirit activity. Following my first encounter, I started to notice a presence in our house. I was often home alone in the summer while my mom was at work, and I was very familiar with the feeling of being alone. I think most people experience this, whether or not they have any form of sensitivity to the paranormal, but I knew the difference between what it felt like when I was alone and what it felt like when someone else was in the house. I could be in the back room with the TV blasting, playing Wind Waker on my Wii, but I just knew my mom was home before she walked in the door. The energy in the air feels different. The light, empty feeling of being alone compared to the pressure of another body taking up space. In the early weeks of August 2009, when I was home alone during the day, it felt like someone was there. In particular, this energy seemed to be emanating from the basement. Our basement consisted of three rooms, a large main room, a middle-sized laundry room, and the smallest room, the workshop. When I would head downstairs to do laundry, I could tell that whatever I was feeling originated from the workshop. From the moment we first moved in, my mom and I always avoided this room. The basement rooms were connected in a circle, and even when it would be quicker to walk through the workshop to get to where I was going, I would opt for the longer route. The other two rooms in the basement were utilized, Exercise equipment and a crafting table and miscellaneous crafting supplies in the main room. A washing machine, dryer, drying rack, and folding station in the laundry room. However, we only used the workshop for storage. 
Despite it already being set up as a work area for constructing, we just filled it with things we rarely ever used and left it alone. As the weeks passed after first becoming aware of this presence, it began moving through the house, making itself known. Now, at such an early stage in my mediumistic abilities, my perception levels and ability to communicate were particularly low. I was receiving signals and interpreting the presence of spirit, but I was not at the point where I knew how to communicate or how to receive knowledge from the spirits I encountered. I could sense their energy, and I could see them, but these were not fully realized skills at this point. Long story short, I was a novice who didn't know how to control the gifts he had received. I would catch glimpses of the man from the workshop throughout August, with the frequency of incidents gradually increasing. It got to the point where my mom was starting to have experiences as well. I remember her saying she had the feeling like she wasn't alone when she knew she was, and she had even caught a flicker of movement in mirrors throughout the house. It wasn't disruptive at first, just small amounts of activity, but when my mom started to notice something, I knew this was different. As we entered September and construction continued, the entity grew stronger, and the energy around my encounters with it changed. It went from testing the waters and seeing if we were aware of its presence to being frustrated with us. Going into the basement became more ominous, and the energy coming out of the workshop felt angry. Any other spirits I had encountered in my home were one-time incidents, the hallway figure hadn't returned, and other wandering spirits would move on from my space after being acknowledged. This spirit, however, presented itself on a recurring basis and seemed to be based in a room of our home. This was very clearly a residual haunting, someone who had lived their physical life in our house. But who was it? In the months prior to all of this, we had made major progress in the renovation of the kitchen. The plan had been to demolish the wall between the kitchen and the dining room to create a breakfast bar. We wanted to salvage the cupboards in order to relocate them to a different wall in the kitchen, so over a weekend we worked to meticulously dismantle them. Upon pulling one of the cupboards away from the wall, papers and fabric fell to the ground. They were old browned documents tearing away at the edges, with a combination of typed and handwritten texts. They had belonged to a clothing salesman. The documents, a catalog of pants for sale accompanied by a cluster of fabric samples. It occurred to me that these documents might hold the answer to who this spirit was. It seemed possible that their only personal items still remaining in the house being disturbed after so many years untouched may have aggravated the spirit. Upon re-examining them, it seemed they were from the 1950s. With this idea in mind, we decided to investigate. Through research online, we discovered our house was built in 1952 and that the original owner had indeed been a clothing salesman. Furthermore, he had passed away in the house.
and this is where the blanks begin. It would be very easy to embellish and create a perfect ending to the story of the first owner of our home. A story where I brought the documents and clothing samples down to the basement and returned them to their rightful owner in his favorite room of the house. A story about how this action brought him peace and calmed down his activity. But, in truth, as much as I have been able to unearth memories long forgotten, there remain pieces of this epic tale that elude me to this day. I do not remember the man's name, nor do I know where these documents wound up. I have a vague memory of approaching him in the basement, acknowledging that this was his home, a home that he may have even helped build, while reminding him that we were the ones now living here on the physical plane, and that after this encounter, he calmed down. Beyond that, however, I do not know. It was 11 p.m. on a Thursday, and I was just getting into bed. Thursdays were notoriously long days. School until 2.30 p.m., rehearsal until 4, straight to my voice lesson at 4.30, heading home for a quick dinner at 5.30, off to dance classes from 7.30 to 9.30, and then finally getting home for the night by 10 p.m. Needless to say, I was happy to be sitting in the comfort of my own room, legs outstretched, leaning against pillows propped up against the wall. I was tired, but I knew I wouldn't be able to doze off for a while, so... I unzipped my backpack, reached in behind my textbooks and agenda, and grabbed my most precious tome, The Last Olympian by Rick Riordan. It was my second time reading the Percy Jackson series in its entirety. I had read them each year as they came out, but wanted to consume the saga sequentially with no interruption. I flipped the book open and took a deep breath, inhaling the sweet fumes of a well-read book an odor that I thought was only met in fierce competition by the smell of rain on concrete. I sank a little deeper into my bed, halfway between sitting and lying down, and dove back into Percy's mythological world. I glanced up from the page. My door was wide open. I guess when I came in, the latch didn't set into place. Our house was drafty, and my bedroom door would always waft open unless secured properly. I sat the book down, got out of bed, and shut the door, feeling the latch click into place. I gave it a little tug to make sure it was stable. Satisfied, I hopped back into bed and continued reading. I looked to my door to see it wide open yet again. A chill ran through the air and my awareness sparked to life. My eyes widened, and my arms and hands vibrated with an almost electric energy as I became acutely aware of a visitor. From the darkness in the hallway, I could just make out the form of a body. It looked as if it were a see-through shadow, gray and faded, and I could feel its energy colliding with my own as if it was pushed by the draft in the hallway, it floated forward, straight towards me. 
Hello. After momentarily waiting for any kind of response and eventually receiving none, I picked my book up and went back to reading. It was early, and this wouldn't be my only visitor tonight. If the past few months had taught me anything, it was to not be so affected. For the most part, many of my nightly encounters sought nothing more than attention. A mere hello usually sufficed. I see you. I know you are here. That was enough. As I turned the page, I felt the entity slip away out of my room. As brief and unobtrusive as this had been, I knew what the later hours of the night would bring. So I decided to enjoy my book while I could, with the hope that I would slip away to dreamland before I was met with a presence that commanded more than a greeting. In eighth grade, I remember hearing a description of what it is like to live life as someone sensitive to the paranormal. Whether it was Echo, Kimmy, or from research I did online, I'm not sure, but it has stuck with me and is how I describe this life experience to other people. There are many different names that can be used to describe someone who receives spirit. When speaking in broad terms, I prefer to use the name sensitive. The world is a pitch-black summer night, a sensitive is a bright porch light, and spirits are bugs and flies. They cannot resist instinctually flocking towards the light. As I began 8th grade in September of 2009, and the weeks passed since my sensitivity first revealed itself, my light started to grow brighter and brighter. Slowly but surely, the frequency of my encounters with spirits increased. The one consistent aspect of these encounters was the location and time, between 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. in my bedroom. As a result, as a 13- and 14-year-old, I got very little sleep. It didn't matter how tired I was, when a spirit was around me, it felt electric. A tingling sensation on my skin from my energy interacting with theirs. On that note, I think it's important to explain the sensation of feeling their energy. It's come up several times and is an integral part of every encounter I've ever had, so I want to be sure you understand what I mean. Whenever I've had to explain this over the years, I've always done this simple exercise with the person I'm explaining it to. Since this is a podcast and I'm not there with you, you're going to need a buddy. Person A will hold out their arm straight in front of them. Person B will then move their hand along person A's arm, being careful to keep an inch or two of separation, never touching. Despite making no contact, you will both begin to feel a sensation, warmth from the energy radiating off of your bodies, these are your auras, the energetic fields surrounding your bodies. All of the abilities I developed throughout my teenage years were derived from this awareness of energy. It started small, only a few feet around me, but quickly grew to encompass a large area. It worked like a tripwire. It could be dormant when I was going about my everyday life, but be triggered by interaction with an entity. 
When lying in bed at night, I was usually on my laptop or reading a book, so I wasn't focused on my sensitivity. But when a spirit would enter my room, my awareness sprang to life. The tingling sensation you feel floating your hand around another person's arm would cover my arms and hands. Unlike anything I'd felt in my life, it was impossible to ignore. It was all very cool to me, at first, but over time, that changed. I was desensitized to encountering spirits because it was no longer a unique experience. Furthermore, it started to make me feel uncomfortable. I had no control over who or what entered my space, when they would do so, or what would happen once they did. I didn't know that there was a way for me to protect myself and my space, and I didn't have the resources at my disposal to do so. This became my new normal. Long days filled with middle school, after school activities and homework, followed by long, restless nights. You may be wondering why I didn't just ignore them and fall asleep anyway. Well, set aside the fact that the sensation of our energies colliding was an incredible stimulant that was impossible to ignore, and imagine, for a second, that a complete stranger has walked into your bedroom at night only to say nothing and stare at you. I doubt you would sleep either. It was Christmas morning, 2009 and I was persuaded into consciousness by the warm, sweet scent of cinnamon buns cooking in the kitchen. After learning that they still needed to cool, my mom asked me if I wanted to open my gifts, and we made our way into the back room. Approaching dawn, the only light was the dim, white reflection of the snow-covered landscape outside our windows, the orange flame of the fireplace, and the gentle glow of the Christmas tree. Merry Christmas, bud. My mom handed me a thick rectangular package and a small wrapped box. I was overcome with excitement. I loved books, and the bigger package definitely felt like books. I could get lost in a book all day and would likely spend the rest of my day reading whatever these were. I found a fold in the wrapping paper, slipped my finger behind it, and tore it open. Oh my god. Mom. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Before me sat two thick encyclopedia-sized books. The Complete Idiot's Guide to Communicating with Spirits by Rita S. Berkowitz and Deborah S. Romaine, and the Everything Ghost Hunting book by Melissa Martin Ellis. This was such an incredible surprise. I hadn't necessarily asked for these books, but I had talked with my mom about how I wished I had some kind of guide for everything I was experiencing, and boy, had she delivered. Don't forget about that one. Oh, right, the smaller package. I pulled back the wrapping paper to reveal a small jewelry box. I took off the lid and gasped. It was a quartz crystal pendulum with a small instructional card. I was speechless. I had been struggling lately with not being able to sleep and was in need of a way to communicate with the spirits I encountered. As if answering this prayer, 
My mom had provided me with a spiritual communication kit. Thank you so much, Mom. I love you. I was, and am, so lucky to have such a supportive mother who was enthusiastic about whatever my passions were. I still have my copies of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Communicating with Spirits and the Everything Ghost Hunting book today. They proved to be useful tools when I was younger, but hadn't been opened in years when I decided I was going to write this story. I'm sure there are hundreds of other books on the topic, but these were the resources I had at this early time in my life. I definitely used the Communicating with Spirits book more than the Ghost Hunting book, Likely because, at the time, I didn't really need to seek out an encounter with the other side. The Complete Idiot's Guide was surprisingly detailed and helpful, featuring an extensive table of contents, glossary, and index. Aside from all of the information it provided on mediumship, it included exercises and meditations to practice honing your innate medium abilities. You'll see it come into play later on pointing me in the right direction many times throughout my teenage years. Initially, the most helpful thing was the vocabulary of terms to codify the things I was experiencing. There were different subsections of interacting with a spirit. Clairaudience, clairvoyance, and clairsentience. Clairaudience is an inner sense of hearing, to hear the unheard. Clairvoyance is a reception of inner vision, imagery in your mind's eye from interacting with a spirit. Clairsentience is described as just knowing, knowledge that comes to you in the moment of a spiritual encounter. At the time, I didn't believe I possessed these traits, because I hadn't experienced them in a significant enough way to believe they were part of my skill set. However, I know now that they were always there, in their infancy, that first year. There was a moment with the spirit from the workshop where I just knew he was a man. There were instances in which I believe what I was seeing with my physical eyes was actually enhanced by imagery I received in my mind's eye. I knew the exact type of hat the spirit I saw in my first encounter was wearing, although I only saw his silhouette. Claire audience however, did not present itself until later on in my journey. Nonetheless, these traits would grow to fruition over the next few years of my life. I just had to bide my time. Because I was not clairaudient and had been struggling to communicate with the spirits I was encountering, I had been desperate for some form of divination tool to aid in my understanding of what these entities wanted from me. I can't exactly remember where I first heard about pendulums. It's possible I had seen them on shows, but I never thought about getting one until Echo and Kimmy told me they had used them. I've tried researching their history, and they are always grouped together with dowsing rods, so I couldn't find an exact date of origin or a specific region. It seems that dowsing rods have been used for thousands of years, and throughout that time pendulums were used for similar purposes. Dowsing rods are two long rods that the user holds loosely in each hand. For the purpose of divination, the user asks the entity to signal yes and no. One response correlates with the crossing of the rods, while the other response is correlated with the rods moving away from each other. Likewise, 
The user holds the pendulum by the top of the chain, letting it drape over their thumb and hang straight down, with the opposite hand cupped below the weight. The user asks for yes and no, which are calibrated with clockwise and counterclockwise swinging of the pendulum. These items were used to locate water, oil, and other underground deposits of natural resources and were also used as divination tools for communicating with the spirit world. The pendulum my mom gave me for Christmas in 2009 became a staple in many of my encounters, specifically when I was seeking communication with the other side. I wasn't whipping it out every time I encountered a spirit, but I would use it when I needed a conduit for communication. If I was actively trying to communicate with an entity, or if I was seeking out any passing spirits when trying to hone my skills, I could be found in the candlelight, seeking answers through my pendulum. It was, after all, still early on in my life as a sensitive. In retrospect, so many of the things that occurred in that first year were microscopic versions of the phenomena I would end up experiencing. Only in hindsight would I become aware of how early on my abilities began to sprout. And sometimes... I did not know that these flowers belonged to my garden. In the beginning of 2010, I was two months into a stint with a poltergeist. It was nothing like the film. No stacked furniture or little girls sliding across the floor, but unnatural, loud, disturbing movement of objects. It wasn't frequent, but it had happened enough times that I was certain this specific type of entity had manifested itself into our home. However, on a Wednesday evening in January, I would come to learn there was no poltergeist after all. There was only me. It was around 6.30pm and I was doing some research in the Everything Ghost Hunting book. I was certain that a poltergeist had taken up residence in our house. Over the past two months, there had been a series of similar phenomena in which objects would crash to the ground, as if they had been thrown. According to the book, poltergeists weren't entities, but actually physical manifestations of emotional disruption in a person. It presented the theory that this activity was actually caused by the person unintentionally manipulating these objects by psychokinesis the power to move things with energy generated by the brain. I thought this seemed a little far-fetched. Sure, I believed in ghosts, and mediums, and psychics, and telepathy, and maybe even cryptids, but psychokinesis just seemed a little too out there for me. Before my eyes could leap to the next paragraph, my phone buzzed. I sat the book down, picked it up, unlocked it, and read the text. A hot flash ran across my face as I turned bright red. My jaw clenched, pressing my teeth together. My brows furrowed, my lips formed a tight, thin line, and my eyes widened. I was furious and screamed, What the f-? A noise echoed from the front of the house. It sounded like it came from the garage. I immediately went on high alert as the anger melted away. It was dark out, and I was home alone. I loved true crime as much as I loved the paranormal, and a loud noise coming from the garage made my mind immediately think of burglars, specifically 
burglars who kill people for catching them burgle. A jolt of adrenaline rushed through my veins, and I decided to sneak to the front of the house to see if there were intruders and, if there were, run out of my house and straight to my neighbors while screaming for help at the top of my lungs. The two years of dance classes had made me more nimble, and I slunk down the hallway with ease. I stopped at the threshold of the kitchen, closed my eyes, quieted my breath, and focused on what I could hear. The gentle hum of the refrigerator. A car passing down the street. The hollow breath of the heat coming out of the vents. But nothing more. After about a minute, I was certain I was alone. If they had gone down the stairs in the garage to the basement, I would have heard that, and their only way in the house was through the door connecting the kitchen to the garage right around the corner. Feeling safe, my breathing and heart rate slowed, and I turned to the corner into the kitchen. It was impressive how it didn't even look like the house we moved into. We'd likely only be working for a couple weeks after ski season ended, and this two-year project would be finished. I passed by the breakfast bar and stopped at the door to the garage. Just to be sure, I turned the handle, cracked it open, reached my hand through, and quickly flicked on the lights. I didn't see any burglars, but I did see the cause of the noise. I opened the door all the way, walked to the middle of the garage, and picked up a tackle box full of hardware and a hammer. Weird. The hardware box had been on a shelf about eye level, and the hammer was hung on a tool hook on the wall. The place where the box sat was obvious, an empty space in the middle of a shelf stocked with miscellaneous workshop objects, as well as the space for the hammer, hung right above the box in the middle of many other hung tools. It seemed unnatural. Sure, it was completely possible that this was a coincidence, and that physics had decided long before that these two objects with separate supports would fall at that exact moment. It was also possible that the past two months of similar occurrences was also a coincidence. My phone vibrated in my pocket, and I was instantly reminded of the text I had just received. My face scrunched slightly, a less intense form of the initial anger returned. This, too, felt like part of the ritual when things would fall. The loud thud as an object hit the floor always arrived as a welcomed distraction from feeling frustrated. And then, for a moment, I considered another possibility. Was there a connection between my heightened emotions and the movement of these inanimate objects? Was it possible that my energy was shooting off like a solar flare on the face of the sun, my own personal coronal mass ejection colliding with objects in my space, moving them? <laughs> oh, how absolutely ridiculous. I pushed the silly thought aside put the hammer and hardware box back in their rightful places, and made my way back into the house, unaware that for a moment I had been so close to the truth. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the Haunt. 
To submit a question for our listener questions episodes, visit the homepage of our website, whatthehaunt.com. What the Haunt is written and narrated by Joe Wood, mixed and mastered by Eric Rodriguez, and our theme song, Lift the Veil, is written by Joe Wood and performed by Mullinator. <laughs>